Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. This is the problem with uh, the path of visualisation, because essentially we're using words, we're using left-brain constructs to uh, guide us into a right-brain experience, something that is beyond words. So it's the classic Zen story of the finger pointing at the moon. We're not really fixating on the finger. The finger is pointing to the moon. It's the moon that we're we're experiencing. But nonetheless, the finger is really helpful. So similarly, the words are helpful if they open up the experience. And, And as you practice this more and more, you'll find your own spell a magic spell that works for you. Uh, so it's, it's really important to feel free to experiment with it as long as you end up in the moon. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is that you know, we talk about altered states you know, on, on drugs and psychedelics. But actually, you know, from a Buddhist point of view, that's the reality. That state of absolute, boundless, spacious awareness. This is the true nature of reality. And our being jammed into the dusty, claustrophobic box of our thoughts, this is an hallucination. So in a way, we have to recondition our way of being to expect so much more, to expect that life is like a trip. You know, it is like this incredible, vivid um, expanse of, of experience that's sacred and shimmering and spacious. But we don't, because we've been conditioned to be very sus- suspect of that, be suspicious of that. And in many ways, you know, all of these practices, particularly the Tibetan practices, are pointing us back towards that state of expanded awareness. Yeah, and, and over time, we, we negotiate that. We spend more and more time in the vast space And we can actually bring that into our daily existence. So we don't have to exit it. And this is why the sitting practice that we're going to learn is so so useful. Because it's a way of, if you like, channeling that spaciousness into our everyday encounters. I mean, this is the thing that, uh, unfortunately, in, in some schools of Buddhism, it feels really drab. It feels really, like, punitive. And I've got to sit really still, and I've got to, like, breathe, count my breath. I mean, counting breath is the most boring, dreadful, deadening thing anyone can do. Words are bad enough, but numbers are even worse. So the sense of magic, which is very deeply ensconced in the, in the Tibetan tradition that actually the, the, the real world is a sacred world that's incredibly, unbelievably deep and vivid. This is, this is the aliveness that is our birthright. And this sort of facsimile world that we live in, this sort of grey, brown, very dull, repetitive, neurotic world that we jam ourselves into, this is a, this is a terrible mistake. 
So um, you should not be afraid of the... You know, it's, no, it's no coincidence that some of the beatnik poets were students of Chugyun Trumpa, Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, these very kind of visionary poets. And Reggie is a huge fan of uh, William Blake, the English romantic poet, who he says was the, was the local Vajrayana practitioner in, in England in the 18th century. Because what he saw and what he described in his poetry is exactly what the um, Tibetan sages see and describe in their writings. When the doors of perception are cleansed, then we see everything as infinite. So, so it's good stuff, man. All right. <laughs> and it's free. But please don't, don't, don't go, oh, well, I didn't have that experience at all. I was just lying there having a meep. Um, it, it is a, it's not a, sometimes it is a kind of quite dramatic opening, but it's a more gradual process than that. I, did, uh, I had a similar experience on, in Crestone, which is the retreat center that Reggie has up in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, which is a really stunningly beautiful shrine room with these plate glass windows that look over a 50-mile ice field and mountain that's really amazing. And I was on a sort of uh, four, it was a four-week silent retreat. It's very hardcore sitting, so you sit hours and hours and hours and hours. And um, you sit, because it's in the winter, you sit in the, in the darkness at the night as well. And luckily this happened in the pitch black or in, the, in a very dark shrine room because I was, I was sitting exhausted and I felt really vividly this compulsion in my body, very, very, very slow compulsion. It was sort of like I felt my head moving one way. And then I felt my side going down. And then I was doing this extraordinary, but really, really slow. So I was like, kind of like this, and then down, and then up. And, and I, could, I could sort of sense that it was... My body, okay, the only way to get rid of all this tangle in your spine, we're going to have to unwind this knot really carefully. So I was doing this kind of really slow mo. I mean, I must have looked completely nuts because I was literally like, oh, you know, over the course of about an hour. Uh, it was really fascinating. This just very strong imperative from my body to move in a certain way. And at the end, I just felt, I felt, I felt completely aligned. It was really wonderful. Um, I think there is a, the quality of, of what uh, Kirsty was suggesting that you know th these these thoughts, these kind of tensions, do disappear in the space, but they only disappear because the space is so vast. It's like I was saying to someone I can't remember who, which I've, an image I've used before, that if you put a teaspoon of salt into a teacup of water, it's really really toxic. But if you put a teaspoon of salt into Lake Windermere, which is a freshwater lake in the UK, then it makes no difference. Water is still sweet. And it's the same with, you know, when we think negative thoughts or a negative emotion or a traumatic pattern comes up and we're stuck in our tiny box of our head, it feels absolutely explosive and unbearable. But if we're 100 miles down in the earth with, you know, just vast space between us and the emotion, it's just a play of energy. So we're not getting rid of anything we're just recontextualizing it so it just sees as, as it is, just a play of energy.
It's the same for thoughts, feelings, bodily emotions, uh, bodily pain. And as, as Reggie says, even death, you know, the whole experience of death from that vast space, it's just the play of, of the elements. I think this is really essential that this, particularly before we start tomorrow looking at the actual sitting practice, this quality of spaciousness, of limitless space, that's what Reggie always calls it, uh, flying in the limitless space, <clears throat> is, is really essential for the rest of the path, the rest of what we engage with in our practice. Because if we don't have that space, we don't have some sense of that enormous resource, that unfathomable uh, resource of the earth or the space of the <coughs> earth below us supporting us, then the path is really, really difficult. It's really difficult to work with strong emotion. It's difficult to work with toxic patterns. It's difficult work with anything, really. So cultivating that spaciousness, that spacious awareness, in whichever way we do that, and there are several practices, but this is you know, one of the key ones, uh, is really essential as a, a context for our practice, for what comes next. So whenever you sit, you really, and we'll learn this tomorrow, we, we, you really need to make sure that you connect with that space as much as you can because that will make everything go so much more um, beautifully. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again for more podcasts from MindSprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org. That's mind-springs.org dot org.